to the another engaging episode of Uplifting Global Talent. I'm your host, Serap Zal. And today we have the privilege of diving into the fascinating journey of a true global HR leader. Joining us is Pete Baker, an HR visionary with over two decades of experience uh, spanning the world, currently working as HR, VP of HR and communication at Amco Rigid Packaging based in North America. Pete, it's an honor to have you on our show today. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful to be here, Sarah. Great to see you, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thanks a lot, Pete. And Pete and I actually worked together in the past. I truly love Pete's energy and um, and the combination of positive and growth mindsets. Uh, so your global career journey is absolutely remarkable, Pete. So uh, it's so inspiring. Could you? And I know it uh, well. But of course, to our listeners, could you walk us through some pivotal moments that have led you to your current role at Amcor? Yeah, wonderful. It's, it does. Uh, I've always said that you know your career is a it's a journey. It's not a destination. Um, and yeah, true. I've enjoyed that journey. Um, but yeah, certainly you know a couple of really pivotal moments for me. And and I actually really think pivotal moments are often when you meet or you work with a pivotal manager. Um, and you know my first pivotal moment was was choosing to work for Procter and Gamble. Um, I, uh, I joined Procter and Gamble and spent 17 years there, and that's a great place to uh, to grow your career. And so, in many ways, the first pivotal moment for me is is having a great boss at Procter and Gamble who really uh, exhibited uh, really exactly what leadership should be: really focusing on on building the business while also building the organization. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I, I spent 17 years at Procter and Gamble, of which probably half of those were in sales. Um, and that was in Australia, in New Zealand, and also uh, in Cincinnati, uh, which is our global headquarters. Um, and so I started my career in sales. Um, and then I had a great boss uh, who, after a decade or so in sales, who, who who spent time really trying to understand me and my strengths and and where my passion might really lie. And and she gave me an opportunity to try out working in human resources. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, that's during definitely that, pivotal moments, right? From sales yeah, to HR. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah. so that, that decision to move to um, to to HR was a uh, well, give it a try. Try it for a few months, um, and then you can go back to sales. <laughs> uh, but really, I fell in love with human resources, and I'm so delighted that I had the opportunity to do that six month broadening assignment in HR that has has actually become a multi decade journey. Um, yeah. and, and, and so, you know, next pivotal moment for me really was the chance to move from Australia up to Singapore to work in a in a, a regional role. And frankly, you know, my I really still believe that people regional roles are the greatest accelerator of talent. Uh, when you're in a regional role, you're working with the corporate headquarters, so you're managing up, but then you're working with the countries. Um, and so you've got to influence and build capability um, and 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 to some degree manage um, geographically. Um, mm-hmm. And so the opportunity to work in a regional role for Procter & Gamble uh, was really that pivotal moment in terms of really stretching my capability um, as, as a HR leader. Yeah, um, you definitely go out of your comfort zone in those regional roles so, yeah, because really of the cultural do. differences yeah, as well. Exactly yeah. right. And and I, you know, when when you yeah, you you have and 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 I think you have to defer to the the local team around, you know, where are their genuinely 
business reasons, cultural reasons, legal reasons why things have to be done different, but at the same time then try and work with the global teams to drive some consistency and standardisation. So it's really one of the most uh, <laughs> interesting parts. Whenever I've worked in regional roles, I've, I've, I've always grown and learned the most. And um, and then I moved, you know, while after 17 years at PNG, the decision to leave a, com- a big company that you started your career is obviously a pivotal move. Um, and I met a great boss uh, at AP Muller Mask, where you and I met each yes. other. And so I had the chance to move from PNG uh, into, into Maersk. And that was, uh, you know, a pivotal moment because, you know, when, when a, a company says, okay, we're going to take someone who has no knowledge of the shipping industry, uh, <laughs> they've worked in, in Procter & Gamble their whole career, and we're going to give them a shot at Maersk. Uh, and so that was a great, really a pivotal opportunity to move from consumer products into shipping. But honestly, Sarap, I do see that um, there's a in, in roles like HR, you know, to some degree it's industry agnostic, right? The skills of a great HR person are hopefully still the same, irrespective of, of the industry. And so, uh, but I learned a lot when I when I um moved into Maersk. Um and and a really pivotal um, moment for me within Maersk was um, getting the opportunity to move from being the regional head of Maersk in Asia Pacific to being the global head of leadership development and learning and development um, for Maersk in Copenhagen. You know, I'd never worked in a learning and development role in my career. Um, and all of a sudden I had a boss called me up and said, we want you to be the new global head of learning and development for the biggest shipping company in the world. And that's when a you great talk, challenge for you. When you talk about pivotal moments, um, it's, yeah. uh, it's, that's when, uh, that's when a, a leader sees, okay, this person might have a capability. We can coach them. We can build them. Um, let's give them an opportunity. And, and I was so lucky and so delighted to have the chance to then move from Singapore to Copenhagen to be the global head um, of, of learning and development for Maersk. And that was a really successful assignment. Actually, you know, we did really well in that assignment. Um, mm-hmm. And it was interesting because the, the, the leader at the time specifically said, you know, we don't want a learning and development professional in this role. We want someone who's a bit practical and grounded in the business. Um, and, and I sometimes, you know, I, when I sit in talent reviews and people or some of the managers are like, oh, this person might be high potential, but they're still two or three assignments away and we need to gradually build their skills. Sometimes you just take a shot on people, right? Someone mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's the same with you, Sarap, right? Someone took a chance with you at some point in your career. And I think we, sh- we should always uh, remember that um, in our own careers as well. When, when, we, when we look at developing our own talent, sometimes we're a little bit um, too cautious with giving opportunities for people. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they can stretch in and they can grow. Um, and so, um, you know, a great... Uh, really, that was certainly a pivotal moment of of moving to Copenhagen, uh, working in learning and development, um, and then you know, kind of two other pivotal moments to to share. You know, the next was was I moved to Abu Dhabi as the <laughs> head of uh, HR for the largest bank in the UAE. That's um, a really strong and bold decision, I guess, to change yeah, the industry, was, change location well, to Middle East. <laughs> Yeah, so to some inspiring. degree, high risk and high reward, right? Yeah, uh, high yeah risk indeed. Reward. Because it was it was a great or it was a great opportunity. Uh, the the mm-hmm. the two or two of the largest banks in the UAE were merging together, and they wanted a, a CHRO who had 
um, you know, was going to bring in a very different perspective. So they deliberately recruited someone who had, did not have a banking background, did not have a background in the Middle East, and mm-hmm. um, and that was uh, that was fantastic uh, because I got the chance to kind of set up HR for an, a new organisation that were a newly merged organisation. Um, a, a wonderful opportunity and great chance to work with um, with some great people, um, and at Sometimes as things happen in the UAE, often, you know, when you're recruited by one CEO and that CEO ends up retiring, um, new CEO wants um, their own team in. And so immediately myself and others were um, who were seen to be part of the old team um, ended up leaving and and, uh, the new CEO brought in a a new team and, and CEO is absolutely entitled to do that. But that's a pivotal moment as well, right? When mm-hmm. you are seen, when you're happy in a job, going along day to day, your boss retires and you think, okay, well, we'll manage the transition and I'll have a new CEO. Um, and then all of a sudden you're not wanted anymore. Um, you know, that 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 is a real challenge, Sarap. Um, yeah, and certainly it's the first time in my career um, that 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 had happened to me, and and probably it gave me empathy, a lot more empathy about um, uh, perhaps you know had, had I was I as supportive throughout my career of other folks who I'd had to exit from the business. Obviously, if you're a HR person, you're const- you're often in the process of of moving mm-hmm. talent in and out of the business. So it's part of the job. Uh, it's not easy when it happens to you. Um, yeah, but, and sometimes um, we say that, yo, we understand how you feel, et cetera, but we can't really understand exactly how they feel, correct. right? So and that's true if for you me. don't I have really that. I really didn't them. understand until yes. it happened to me. Um, and all of the same things of, but it was doing so well and look at my scorecard, I've exceeding objectives. And sometimes in the talent game, you know, even if you're doing exceeding objectives, you know, this, this, the new CEO for various reasons um, wants to have a team that is more aligned to how of that course. new person thinks. And yeah. that's okay. His um, vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and so then the, the final one, really final pivotal moment is the chance to come to Amcor. And this was, a, this is a really in, kind of, to some degree, interesting one for, for, for me because Amcor got in touch with me in 2016. So oh. seven years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I came, you know, came kind of close to accepting a job at Amcor back then in 2016, but the timing wasn't right and I was happy at Maersk. Uh, but my experience with the people at Amcor was fantastic. And I'm like, yeah. God, these are lovely, lovely, wonderful people. They've got a great business. They're trying to do great things in the world. Uh, and, um, and, and so I backed out of that process, but Amcor stayed in touch with me every year or so. I'd get an email from, um, from, you know, people at Amcor saying, Hey, just checking in, seeing how, you know, if, just how, yeah, how, how great is that? Yeah. Uh, and it was fantastic. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes I think all of us have had people turn down job offers in the past and you say, well, let's let's keep in touch and and you never do. Well, guess what? Amcor did for me and they they stayed in touch with me over the years. Um, and so when I left um, uh, the, the bank in the Middle East, I, I, I was able to do a few things um, during my garden leave. But then as I thought seriously about where I wanted to go next, I got back in touch with some of the organisations that I'd interacted with over the years and certainly Amcor was one of those. Um, and so, you know, oh. it's pretty amazing that they 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 remembered, they stayed in touch and they're like, okay, if an opportunity comes up um, that's a, a fit for us and a fit for for 
for them, then um, then let's let's see what happens. And so yeah. I did, and I came back and said, "Hey, I'm I'm back uh, interested now." Uh, and they said, would you like to move to the U.S.? And I said, okay. Why <laughs> not? <laughs> so it's all about the right timing, right? So, the, yeah, right time, right person and uh, really right is. position and as we, well. We all say that in our, in our talent process, you know, the right person at the right, doing the right yeah. work at the right time, and, and it is, and that's a combination. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so I was wow. delighted that, that Amcor uh, stayed in touch with me over the years uh, yeah. and so now I'm seeing oh. talking to you from Ann Arbor Michigan which was probably <laughs> not where I expected to be uh, a few years ago after Abu Dhabi it's a exactly long way right. to go <laughs> exactly. yes oh thanks a lot Pete I mean it's a it's definitely an inspiring journey and you have a lot of learnings as well in different industries different locations um so we will have a deep dive on those things, but let's kick things off with a quick warm-up session, uh, giving our listeners a sneak peek into the person behind the professional. So quick questions, Pete, a phone call or a text message? Uh, Phone call. Phone call, as expected from you. Prefer the the personal interaction, absolutely. Yes, Yes, indeed. It's less efficient, but more effective. Yeah, I, I would expect even the text messages of you, like with lots of emojis or sharing that emotion. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> uh, would you rather get up early uh, and work or stay up late to finish your work before you Yeah, sleep? I am an early starter early. and I'm terrible in the evening. So I get up early, happy to, happy to get up as early as you like, as long as I don't have to work in the evenings. <laughs> and especially right now in the US, I guess, to connect with other colleagues in different parts of the world, you have exactly to wake right. up too early. Yeah, to I right. much prefer the early calls. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and city living or a countryside escape? City living, city living. I'm a, I'm a city person. I like being surrounded by people. Uh, I like the energy that comes from the city. Yes. Yeah. Lively, right? Yeah. Um, ebook or paperback? I love that e- I'm falling in love with ebooks, and I'm surprised that I have. I never, I resisted forever, um, <laughs> and then uh, and then I decided to give it a try, and I absolutely love it. So yeah, yeah it's a yeah. new habit for me, but uh, probably about a year old uh, since I've been using my Kindle, and I, I think it's yeah, fantastic. Me too, indeed. It it doesn't give the same feeling like the paperback, no. but still, I really like the flexibility you don't need to carry a lot of books you can choose whatever you want so i like that too (laughs) um if you had to live in one of the a lot of cities that you lived so far if you which ones which city would you do would you select the best to Um, live I would probably select Singapore as the Singapore. probably the best overall place to live. It's a, yeah. we were there for eight or nine years. Um, it's a great place uh, to live. Great, we had great memories of of, of mm. when our kids were really young and growing up there. Um, and maybe so, social connections as well, like your friends. And exactly, still network. have a lot of friends there. Still have a lot of family there. But but you know, honestly, Sarap, if there's one thing I've learned is that every place is great in its own way, and every place has has faults, right? So whether it's yeah. you know, in Abu Dhabi, or lived in Bulgaria, or lived in Taiwan, lived all around, but but every place is great in its own way. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And it's always nice to see different places. And without living there, you don't really understand as well. I mean, as a tourist, you don't really get that feeling. But when you start to live, you, you of course, build uh, your own network there too. Absolutely. Okay. So now we... 
we are ending this uh, nice uh, quick warm-up session. So it's now time to deep, uh, deep dive uh, to the heart of our conversation. So uh, your career, as we talk, uh, has spanned into uh, different countries from Australia to Taiwan, from Middle East to the US. So uh, being HR leaders, managing organization in different cultures, as we said, is, is not easy. I mean, you have to adapt, you have to understand the lots of regulations as well. And uh, But what challenges and opportunities um, do global HR professionals encounter when navigating those um, diverse cultures, diverse international contexts? Uh, so what would you say based on your experience? I think, the first of all, I would still say a great HR person is, uh, is great or can be great in any um in any construct, right? I really, I think there's no such thing as a great Japanese HR leader who would not ideally be successful um, in 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 other contexts as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so I really, uh, I guess the the opportunity or the challenge here is is to really deeply understand, you know, have that intimacy with the population that that we are um, serving and realizing um, that. You different paths will get you to um, to the right result, um, and so if uh, I'm going to probably unpack it in a little bit of a tactical way, if you say, okay, driving team effectiveness is a, a core part of a CHRO's journey or mm-hmm. a senior HR leader's journey, right? Um, and you know, I'm always been a believer in that that the HR role is an important role in driving the effectiveness of a leadership team. But doing that in different cultural contexts um, is is a, is extremely different, and you, it's it's still important. You just have to do it in a different way, right? Let me give you a, a, a basic example, right? You know, often a big part of team effectiveness is the concept of disclosure and feedback as a way to create mm-hmm. trust. Um, a very standard way, and many, many different tools around disclosure and feedback um, that create trust, right? And when we did that in that type of work, say in Europe, um, you know, it works extremely well and people are, are absolutely willing to lean in and participate. Um, and then when I get to when I get to the Middle East um, and realise that disclosure around people's personal life is just absolutely not part of the kind of how people think about coming to work. So people were very reluctant to talk about their personal life, their husband, their wife, their uh, family, um, and so you had, but but driving team effectiveness is still an important part of my job. Um, so I still need to do it. I just need to do it using perhaps different types of tools. Um, and so there's other tools that you can use that don't that that don't require uh, something that is, that is not comfortable in that cultural construct. So kind of. I learned that pretty quickly. I was at, you know, getting in, understanding, deep diving, how, you know, what's going to work in this culture, what's not going to be, being willing to listen to the people on the ground. Um, and it helped me to avoid some of those mistakes. So in many ways, right, part of being a global HR leader is, is having this kind of toolbox of things that, that have worked with you throughout your career, but then making sure that we very carefully calibrate to will those tools work equally um, in 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 every setting. 
Yeah. And so that's yeah. really it for me to make sure that I really calibrate and understand, you know, hey, here's my here's what I'd like to do. How how might this land um, in that particular setting? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but good HR is still good HR in all countries. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess it's all about the mindset, right? So that open mindset, asking questions, getting feedback, understanding what's working, what's not working, possibly yep. will not be working. So I think it will be good to understand that first and take action. And I, I remember the old days that we when we worked together, you also had a lot of pilots as well, like pilots in different countries and pilot for only a couple of like director level leadership development mm-hmm. programs that I remember that you were running as well. So I think those pilots also give a lot of feedback to you on what's yeah. working, what's not working yeah. type of thing. I think that's exactly right. And this, you know, go back to if, if we look at the, you know, our other industries, the software industry and stuff, they call it the minimum viable product. Uh, um, yes. And, mm-hmm. um, and in many ways, you know, we should in HR look at it in the same way, right? We are here in Amcor doing minimum viable product kind of trials in, in different locations, even within the, within Latin America, for example. Um, so, uh, so yeah, being willing to be open, being willing to test small and then roll out, um, kind of helps you avoid kind of a major, major mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being inclusive HR leader, of course, is super critical as well in this journey. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you. And also, I always like to ask questions about the remote work. It's always yeah. on the agendas and it's evolving as well. So with these um, evolving topic, uh, remote work, distributed teams. So how has Amcor adapted its HR strategies uh, to ensure seamless collaboration, employee engagement globally? Yeah, we honestly, we uh, we have gone to flex work and I'm sitting here, I'm actually in the office today, but there's only mm-hmm. uh, probably very few people in the office uh, <laughs> today because most people choose, uh, we actually have a half day on Friday during the summer. So most oh, people okay. work from home in the morning and then. Um, which is nice. <laughs> and then and then take the afternoon off, which is great. Uh, so, so, uh, so I think, you know, what remote work has enabled us to do is to get access to a talent pool that we perhaps may not otherwise have been able to access. Yeah. So for example, here in the US, we're here in, we're in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is a, you know, a beautiful place, uh, but it's not the biggest place in the world. And so we've, had to hire some of our talent you know we've got some of our our, our CFO uh lives in Wisconsin uh the head of one of our business units lives in Texas um our uh, so we've got people dispersed all around. Our head of procurement lives also in Texas. So we've got a bunch of people who 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 work remotely uh, in in leadership jobs, and they come in and out um, as appropriate. Um, we've of course got a manufacturing footprint all around the world. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Where. So frankly, you know, the vast majority of our colleagues are not sitting here in this corporate office. Uh, they're in a manufacturing facility. Um, so so I think we're remote work has been great for us. Um, and there's certainly still clearly downsides in it, right? And particularly for us, the downside has been the onboarding of new employees is is much, much harder and helping new employees understand the real culture of the organisation if they're only experiencing it remote, right? There is something simply about that human connection that is so critical in terms of someone understanding how an organisation really, 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 really works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for existing employees, people who've been here a long time, people who've got the skills, Skills, remote work has been absolutely fantastic. It's an 
good for engagement. It's good for productivity. Um, it's good for work-life balance. Um, my biggest concern is really new employees. Um, how do we make sure that they uh, really feel part of the Amcor family if you're working out of a living room in South Carolina um, and there's no other Amcor employees within 100 miles? Um, how do we make sure that, that that you feel connected to to the culture of the organisation? And so that that that's probably the big challenge that that we're facing and I know a lot of companies are facing the same challenge. Yeah, indeed. And I, I think we will be learning by uh, trial and errors as well. That we will be changing and adapting the strategies uh, based on the the current climate and needs, of course. Um, but um, as we talk about remote work and, of course, the talent attraction strategies, I would like to ask you also that given your experience in different industries like consumer goods, transportation, shipping, um, banking and now in packaging. So how how has your understanding of these different sectors contributed to the design and um, implementation of talent acquisition strategies um, tailored to the specific needs of these industries uh, globally? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, so um, the first thing, so when I guess when I look at our, at our talent or our, our, our workforce, we really have two quite distinct groups, right? We've, we've got 80% of our employees are hourly workers um, working in, in manufacturing facilities. Um, and most of those are in kind of reasonably small communities dotted around the US or dotted around Latin America. Um, and so, you know, bluntly for that, it's really, it, it's all about, you know, what, what we've really tried to do this year is much being really transparent on what the offer is and what the employment experience is. Mm -hmm. um, it's all about directness and transparency. So, you know, what you see is what you get. You know, we call it, we want to minimize the say-do gap, right? Mm -hmm. you know, what, yes. what we say is what we want people to experience. Um, and that's important across all um, uh, all of our uh, uh, offering, but it's, I guess, particularly uh, really critical with, with our hourly colleagues who typically have a slightly higher um, um, uh, uh, attrition. Mm -hmm. But then in terms of minimising the say-do gap um, or for our salaried and our professional uh, group, um, that's also really critical, making sure that we, you know, it's really promises made, promises kept, right, because we've been able to get, the, we've been able to get people to come to us, and and we've been able to find the right people. But Serap, where we've had a where where we have had a struggle, uh, even in the last year, is when people come in expecting one thing and experiencing a different thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's a gap between what they were hoping for and what they actually experienced, and we've had some good people, really good people, who we've gone out of the way to hire. We hope that they would have succeeded, but then they arrive and, and 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 their experience is not what they were hoping for, or our um, you know how we see the person operating is not what we were uh, expecting, um, and so you end up kind of losing some talent um, after a, a, a short time. And you know probably better than me, based on your industry, you know the cost of a mishire. Um, and so in many ways for us, um, you know, the, the most critical thing is, is understanding, you know, how, what, what is our employment experience that we're really, 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 really offering, you know, in terms of, you know, autonomy, in terms of mastery, in terms of purpose, what are we really offering to our employees? 
um, being really transparent with ourselves on what we are able to offer to, to those employees and being really transparent with the candidates on, on, on what they're going to experience when they come in. You know, I love Amcor. I think it's a great place to work. We've got awesome people doing awesome things. Um, but you know very well that the, the match between um, you know, what might be right for me, it may not be right for somebody else. Um, and that's really where we're, we're looking to, um, uh, to minimise our mishires is probably the, the, the kind of number one issue that we're really facing here to make sure that, that everyone we hire is able to be really, really productive from day one and that they're able to have a successful career within, within Amcor. So kind of the, for me, the biggest stat that we've got, that we're working on in terms of, of, uh, talent acquisition is really around, you know, our you know, time to productivity and our um, kind of what's our uh, retention at the end of the first year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. I mean, of course, uh, there are many ways to look at that, like employee engagement surveys, exit interviews, probably you do, and you get a lot of feedback to shape that employee value proposition as well. Like what are the things that you offer, as you said? Um, yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's always difficult to find that the best match, right? So yeah. I think everyone's challenge is the same. Uh, and we really see that in any industry that you work together as Uplift too. Um, so as we look ahead, and I would like to ask about your vision of future of HR, um, and also how do you see that future of HR, and what advice do you would you give to HR leaders uh, to play a strategic role in their organizations? Yeah, I think so. For for me, the big evolution or the vision for us uh, in well, vision certainly. My vision for HR, and I think the role that HR will play uh, in um, in the workforce in the future, it is really much more dominated by kind of agile principles, which is really around flowing resources to the work. Um, so, you know, most organisation structures are very static. Um, well, they are static. You know, we have boxes in an org chart, but if you look at the 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 future, it will be much more. Um, you know, flowing to the work based on the priorities where people's work will change, you know, month to month, even week to week um, as priorities change. Um, and, and many, you know, if I look a lot to, um, you know, here in the US, I can learn a lot from Silicon Valley, um, mm. you know, but a lot of the, the tech companies are really uh, organised already uh, under the kind of this agile approach of a product backlog of priorities and flowing uh, resources, so flowing people against the most critical priorities. You know, yeah. Increasingly, I always, always, always believe that there will always be more things to do in a company than we will ever have the time and the people to do it. So it will always be about choosing um, amongst competing priorities for what is the most critical thing. And my view is HR is going to increasingly have a role at making sure that we actually bring that to life at, at, at scale, at an organisational level. So it's not just what is how is Pete or how is Serap organising their time today, but much more at an organisational level, how are we flowing our best talent to the right um to the right opportunities or and even how are we flowing sufficient talent to the biggest priorities and often that means saying no to the, the the lowest priorities and taking talent away from them and moving that to um 
to somewhere else, right? I'll give you an example for us, right? We're looking to grow our healthcare business, um, which is a, mm. you know, diagnostics and, and, and other um, is a big part of the, the, the packaging industry and healthcare is, a, is an area where we see growth. Um, and so that's the challenge. How do we make sure that we have the organizational capability to win in the healthcare segment? Um, mm-hmm. And my job as a HR leader is to make sure that we're, we're, we are, uh, make, we have the, the right talent, the right people with the right skills, who are with the right processes, who are able to win in that segment, which at the moment for us is a very underdeveloped segment. Um, and so more and more, you know, that 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 orchestration role, that workforce uh, orchestration role that some HR leaders have, I think is going to be more and more critical for all HR leaders to have that. Yeah, indeed. And I, I think you're definitely on spot on. And especially when I um, when I see this uh, evolving HR leaders uh, responsibilities, I think the one of the thing is being definitely agile and flexible mm-hmm. and being more result oriented and also uh, also planning those priorities, competing priorities very well. And uh, because there are always lots of urgent things to do, but how are we really impacting business? Yeah. So what is the end result that we are trying to achieve? Uh, that's a really important vision to put uh, put on table. Um, and as well as I think uh, just focusing on the value added things too, right? So there are, sometimes I see lots of different HR practices, policies, et cetera, but sometimes some of them are not needed as well. Yeah. They are just there for a long time and we, we don't need it. And there's no d- directly business impact as well. So why don't we just uh, make it leaner uh, to focus on the HR processes? Um, uh, you're totally right, Sarab. To- I mean, you you and I at Mask experienced the, the idea of, of a high support and high challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still believe that the best HR people uh, manage that access very well, right? They, The business should feel that the HR person is there to absolutely support them. There must be high support, but at the same time, high challenge so that the mm-hmm. HR person sometimes needs to tell the business leaders things that they may not want to hear or things that nobody else will tell them. Um, and so that mix of you've got to be high support, but you've also got to be high challenge at the same time um, yeah. is um, has always been kind of the North Star that I've held myself accountable for. And I we, I speak to the HR team here and we and try to drive that same um, thought process uh, through amongst amongst all of our HR folks uh, in, in Amcor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter, I I can't really believe that we are almost end of this episode. <laughs> and time is flying so fast with you. Thanks a lot for your time. And we uh, we will definitely invite you again. <laughs> wonderful, for the next wonderful, round. wonderful. Great, and, to, it's great thanks. to be part of it. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, many so, thanks thank for sharing these insights. Um so and uh, we'll come back definitely again in the next uh, season. And um To our listeners, stay tuned for more uplifting conversations as we continue to our journey into the evolving world of HR and leadership and uh, together with the leaders like uh, Pete. And remember, the future is full of possibilities and our mission is to uplift businesses and careers globally to reach the new heights and success and impact of future. And until next time, stay uplifted. 